At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business every day are nothing short of heroic. And you deserve someone equally heroic to protect them. Like the breaking ground on new construction things, the every box and barcode matters things, and the driving the family business forward things. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance, wholeheartedly for you. Hey, it's Dave Ebert, and welcome to the latest edition of the Gifts of Glory podcast. Really excited to have my friend on. This man is a writer, an author, a choreographer, a singer, a dancer, an actor, a husband, a father, pretty much anything that a man can do on this side of eternity, this man does. And I'm talking about my good friend, Ted Williams. We met a few years ago at an event called Caritas. And Caritas is a worship and arts conference for Christians uh, who do all sorts of creative arts. And it was really great to get to see and uh, get to know Ted at Caritas a few years ago. And since then, I've been performing with him in different productions, uh, video shorts. And I'm just really proud to know him, really proud to have him on our podcast to talk about the different projects that he's involved with. But before we get into the podcast, I want to remind you about Pure Fest, which is what I'm involved with. That's one of my big projects. And with Pure Fest, what that is, it's a faith-based improv and sketch festival for improv and sketch teams and performers from all over the nation. We'll have people who are performing coming all the way from Knoxville, Tennessee, from the Atlanta, Georgia area, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, here in the Chicagoland area, Michigan, Milwaukee, potentially Denver again. We're hoping that the uh, the group from Denver will be back. But right now, as we're getting the word out, we're hoping to partner with businesses. Whether you're locally here in Lockport in the Chicago area or you're a national company and you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution to help PureFest go, we would love to speak with you and we'd love to chat with you about how we can then promote you as we promote pure fest uh because events like this they take money uh, you want to do uh, posters and billboards and flyers you want people to know that this event is happening because we've got the talent we've got the amazing people coming from around the country but we want the people in chicago and around the air around the world to know about pure fest and want to come out so we're looking for business partners who are willing to make a tax deductible contribution to making pure fest happen and when you do that we will go out of our way to make sure that the world knows that you are involved and that you have uh, taken the step of of faith of trust to believe in this venture we're in our second year we're really excited about what's going to happen this september 27th and 28th at pure fest 2019 the night of the 27th in September, that's a night of fellowship and fun and an improv jam for the performers. And then all day Saturday afternoon on the 28th of September, we're going to have different acts from around the country performing. And tickets at the door are only going to be $10 as a suggested donation. And don't let the suggested donation at the door be prohibitive. If you have a family of 20 people, it's okay. Bring them and pay what you can if you can. It's not a problem. We just want people to come and enjoy an afternoon of clean entertainment that's family-friendly and get to experience live theater without having to worry about what you might have to explain on the way home because you might get that in pretty much any other live theater, especially in a live improv theater. So we just want that special day for you. Now, getting back to the podcast Ted Williams is an amazing guy. He's got his hands in so many pots. He's got so many different projects going, and we're really excited about his upcoming project, 1619. We're going to get into that in the last half of the podcast, but first, let's get to know Ted Williams right here on the Gifts of Glory podcast. I am joined now by... A man who wears many, many hats. He's a professor, he's a minister, father, husband, author, writer, director, actor, dancer, improviser, singer. We're talking about none other than uh, Ted Williams III. Uh, Ted, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dave, what's going on, man? Uh, I've been overwhelming those titles. I said, well, who is that? But I guess you were talking about me. So, uh, okay. Hey, man, I don't know how great I am at all those things, but I'll, I'll take those titles. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you've definitely been credited with them. Uh, you're uh, the writer of uh, Torn, which is a uh, uh-huh. was a, a huge uh, production a few years back, and then yeah, um, you've also written several things that you and I have done together. Uh, our history dates back to Caritas 2014, and um, it was a little bit over a year later that uh, you called me about doing some murder mystery. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely, and we had uh, a lot of fun. I don't know if you want to start talking about that now, or uh, I can wait, but uh, definitely uh, would love to share about the, the, the murder mystery uh, effort and how much fun that is. and how much fun it'll be as we continue because uh, we're definitely not done. We're just, uh, you know, on maybe a little hiatus right now, you know? Well, let's jump right into it. Um, cause okay. we met, uh, at Caritas during class and, um, you uh, took my information and I never followed up, but then, uh, heard from you, uh, like I said, about a year later, 2015 to do some murder mystery, which, you know, there may be some within the uh, the body of Christ that may bristle at the idea of uh, doing a murder mystery, but it was a, it was a lot of fun, and um, it definitely um, for me the one of the first things I remember is the fact that I did not audition well for the play. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would agree, but um, that's okay. You know, God is bigger than that. Um, it, it probably wasn't your best, but, uh, I, I, I had a, a hunch and call it the Holy Spirit, call it intuition, but I had a hunch that, uh, you, you were better than that. And, uh, you definitely were, uh, uh, you were much, much uh, stronger. And I found that when you got in front of a live audience, when you really came to life. And so, um, that's, uh, you know, blessedly that, uh, that gamble paid off. <laughs> well, I, I was definitely high risk, high reward. I think. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You, you, you. Yeah, you were definitely high reward, and I can tell you after the first show, man, you just you connected with the audience, and you um, just you know you came to life. And you, I really enjoy working with you and some of the other actors that we deal with because you have such a great uh, gift for improvisation and really uh, just sort of finding the nuances of humor that exist in the room when you're dealing with people in these situations and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, for me, whatever show I do, because I'm a performer too, but I, you know, I love to get people around me who are uh, better in whatever area it is. And I think that, you know, you, yourself, uh, Christine Houston that we work with and some other folks, you guys are hilarious. All I got to do is get in the room with you all and uh, just kind of get out of the way, you know? <laughs> so I really enjoy that. And that those times that we're together, the the performance is always probably the the most fun part. But a very close second are the rehearsals of getting together and just riffing and uh, seeing what uh, we can create that might uh, translate to a good stage performance. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and once again, that the process. So what we do in this mystery dinner theater show, and, and so I'll, I'll take a step backwards. So. Years ago, I was asked to create a murder mystery show for a bed and breakfast resort uh, in the Chicago area, and I'd never done it before. I was actually in graduate school at the time and doing some other stuff and pulled the show together. I remember some nights I was studying for tests and doing it you know, in between you know, scenes and stuff for the show, um, but uh, it worked out well, and uh, we were highlighted on Channel 7, uh, ABC 7 at the time, and I found that I really enjoyed the, the, the genre, if you will. But what we do, I think, is maybe a little unique, that we start off with an outline of a production, but then we allow for, you know, sort of, we, we purposely write in places and spaces where the improv can happen, so that we, we kind of know the beginning, we know the middle, we know the end, but there's a lot of stuff that happens in between. And so, for me, in that way, it's actually not even true improv, right? So it's not a true improv show. I've seen true improv shows. I know you do uh, true improv with, with, uh, with your organization. Uh, but this is more sort of guided improv, right? This is more sort of scripted improv that uh, allows for, uh, we have script, but we really allow for the actors to, to do what they do. And so it's been a lot of fun. We've done the show. I've traveled with the show. Uh, we, I've been doing that, that particular show for, I think we first did it in, I want to say 2001, maybe. 
And since that time, you know, we had at one point a contract with a hotel down in Bloomington, Illinois. We'd go down there and do it once a month. Uh, we've been featured on ABC7 here, as I said before. Uh, I've done a little traveling with it. And uh, we were at the Southeast Hotel for a couple of years. And we did dinner there. And then we moved to the space in Dalton was when I, was when I met you. And uh, we're definitely going to get it back going again. It just, you know, in the midst of, as an artist, you know, you can only sort of move in so many directions at a time. But I, I found that the audiences, because they were able to be engaged, there's, it's something that's golden there for them. And I find that, um, like yourself, you know, we enjoy them as much as they enjoy us. And, uh, and to your point, the rehearsals are a blast. And you just, you know, you sort of, you're making magic together. And you're just hoping and praying that someone will think the silly stuff that we come up with in rehearsal is as funny for them. And, uh, you know, nine times out of ten it is. And so I can tell you that it has brought much joy to my life just on the uh, the idea of being able to be around all of the crazy folks that we end up working with. <laughs> yeah. So your big, um, your company is called Third Dimension Performance Group, and that's where uh, Torn came from. That's where the Murder Mystery yes. uh, Group came from. Um, so what... You know, just kind of going back to the beginning, what is Third Dimension? What is the mission, the purpose, and the vision? Sure. So the Third Dimension Performance Group is sort of was born out of just this desire to make spiritually poignant art that was uh, inspiring and artistically dynamic, and uh, it was fun. And, and, you know, my journey in this work has been very interesting because I started off uh, really acting when I was a preteen. My mother got me an agent when I was 12 and I started doing commercials and video work and that sort of thing. And I loved it, but I was also in school and I was playing sports as well. And so I wasn't able to, I mean, I, I, I would, we were in Indiana, so we were an hour and a half from Chicago and I would go in, we'd go to school and I'd drive to Chicago for an audition and come back and then do homework and go to, you know, practice or like that. And so it was, it was challenging, but I loved it. And, and, and blessedly, it wasn't, you know, so horribly consistent that it, it, it was, um, you know, an impediment to my schoolwork. But when I got saved in college, I really stopped acting for a period of time hmm. because I just felt that it wasn't glorifying God, honestly. And I felt that some of the stuff that I had done before when I was in high school, I had done some, you know, some things with. Uh, sexual, sexually suggestive work I had done already in high school. It wasn't, uh, some of it was even for educational purposes, like I did some, you know, some videos around sex abuse, stuff like that, but even then I still felt like I was doing things that, you know, I was, you know, uncomfortable with, but I, and I also wanted to really go into acting at that point. I almost didn't even go to college, but when I got saved in college, I stepped back and I said, well, I don't know that I really want to do this anymore. I Maybe I have the wrong motives. You know, a lot of actors want to just be famous and that sort of thing. And, and in addition to the, the work that I was talking about, you know, that wasn't to me as glorifying a guy. So I stopped. And I had a, a uh, my, our campus minister, I was at Rutgers University in New Jersey. Our campus minister, his wife, was a performing artist herself. And she had worked in New York uh, doing a lot of the uh, productions there. And she had been saved and reached out to and connected with Christ through a ministry for artists. And so she was the first person to tell me, hey, you know what? You don't have to make a choice between doing this artistic work and um, being a Christian. And so she really inspired me to do that. And she connected me to some other artistic folks who were saved. And it just was amazing to me. And so what happened from there was I began to uh, learn to dance, and I kind of had a gift for that, but had no idea at the time, and began to write, and, and so, but what happened was that God gave birth to a producer, writer kind of person that I didn't think I was before. I was just an actor before that, and because I wanted to create things that connected with this newfound faith, I felt very much like I had to write and, and put stuff out, and so that's really what happened, and throughout college, once I got saved, I knew when I finished school, although I had, was getting a degree in politics and still am very interested in that space and community work, I knew that business-wise, I wanted to be a Christian artist. And so 
at my last semester of college, I wrote a business plan for the Third Dimension Performance Group as my college project for a business class. And uh, when I graduated, we launched. <laughs> and so uh, that really was the genesis of it. And since that time, we've been able to do a myriad sort of wonderful, I think, productions and that kind of thing. And, you know, we've had our ups and downs uh, because there have been times that we've, you know, produced consistently and we've had times we've taken off. But I really have never um, lost that vision. And it, it's been, I had that conversation with that woman probably 24 years ago. Um, my heart is still the same. I still want to put out work that transforms people uh, spiritually, mentally, and, uh, and really kind of counters a lot of the negative imagery and the negative messaging that we see in so much of our entertainment and popular culture today. That's exactly what uh, Gifts of Glory is all about: is uh, promoting those exact same, uh, that exact same heart and that exact same mission. Is finding men and women that are dedicated to using their passions to glorify God, to bring people to the kingdom, and to try to make the world a better place, a more tolerable place, because this world has fallen, and there's just so much bad news and so much trying to divide us and rip us apart that we need those distractions and we need those things that we can bond over and entertainment right. is one of those. It really is. And uh, like you and I always talk about, uh, particularly with humor, it's medicine for the soul. And there's so much pain out here in this world uh, that we really have got to utilize the gift that God has given us to uplift people. But to your point, there are a lot of folks out here who are doing artistic work. Our country, our nation is full of creative people, but even as I sit here, I'm watching the ponies tonight and kind of looking at what they're doing, uh, I find that so much of the work that's being done is not only not just being done to, to not sort of not being done to glorify God, but I don't really feel like it's being done to sort of do anything other than make some artistic statement, and I feel that if you're going to have people come sit and, and you have their attention for an hour and a half in a production or an hour and a half in a film or even five minutes in a short film, uh, do something with them. You know, inspire them, uh, educate them, inform them, enlighten them, uh, make them think, do something. And I think, and there definitely is work out there like that, but I do find that too much of our work is, there's a, there's a Hebrew word called uh, Aven, actually, that had been looking at to when I was doing some study about just the purpose of life and godliness. And this, this word literally means vanity or nothingness. Hmm. And I remember being stuck. That word hit me. Uh, and I remember thinking, I don't want to live a life like that. I don't want to produce work like that. I don't want to be engaged in things like that. You know, sort of the vanity, nothingness. It's like, man, that was funny, but going to do anything for me other than make me laugh or, you know, and, and, you, and you and I both know we can watch, you know, all of the various uh, streaming services that exist. There are thousands of films out there to watch and, and you can entertain yourself to death in this country. But how much of it does anything for us other than, you know, we blew up some things and we show some things. I just, I think that because art is so powerful, we, we have a responsibility as artists to move people towards being better human beings. And there's no better way to be a better human being than to follow the best human being that ever lived, which is our, our Lord's sake. Exactly. And there is always room for the nothing, the mindless entertainment just as a distraction. But uh, to your point, it's so important, especially as men and women of God, to have a purpose and and not just have idle productions out there where they take where the audience takes nothing from it because what have you really done because if they come to a show and they sit for the hour and a half or the hour and they walk out exactly the same then what have you truly done yeah, um, yeah it's so yeah. important to give them something to carry away and so that they'd be they they'd either feel better or they would be better and through like my comedy my my goal is most of what we do is just clean comedy, but we also play characters. We play real-life situations, and our hope is that we'll speak to something in people's lives that will, that will turn, uh, turn a light switch on so that they can maybe think about it differently 
or if at the very least they see that they're not alone in the world because when you laugh right. together when you enjoy something together that's done with a purpose then your life is you're going to feel better as you leave that room because you now know that there's more people who think like you because it takes a lot to get people to laugh at the same thing there has to be some sort of spiritual mental connection that's true and you so know that, it's funny that you say that because you know humor is one thing you know laughter it can't be it can't be uh you know fabricated if you will right so you know people are laughing at what you're doing those are genuine responses and people are not gonna laugh people may clap for you if they're not feeling you completely but they're not gonna laugh you know and right. so i think you in the comedy realm you guys have even a harder a harder job than some of the stuff that i do you know my my uh you know medium if you will is you know dance and theater overall acting that sort of thing and we obviously put humor in and you know we've got some musical stuff that happens too but uh i can sort of get away and not that i would try to but you know if i'm putting on a, a dance or something like that people may be responding they may not but if you get up and try to make someone laugh if they, you either succeed or you don't <laughs> there's right. not a lot of in between in that you know what i mean so that's a, you know you have a tougher a tougher job i think in certain ways well, yeah. and, but I do have I do have the uh, the blessing of not having to remember lines. All we have to do is find the next point that we know that the audience is looking for, and that can be an instinctive right. connection. But when it's a if it when it's a play that's scripted or a production that's scripted, there are certain things you have to have happen, and just hope that they work and you, they're delivered in the right way. So we have the freedom to stop and cut and do different things when things aren't working in a live production or in a film, you got to just finish it and hope that in the end it pays off. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I find, you know, particularly film uh, to be more challenging in that way. Although you do get to edit and, and that sort of thing. Uh, once it's out there, it's out there <laughs> and that's it. There's no going back. There's no fixing it. There's no, you know, uh, with, with a production, you can mess something up and fix it the next night. People may not forget everything that happens, but, uh, you know, even when I you choreograph dance, uh, there's a huge difference between us choreographing it to be on stage uh, and then sort of choreographing it for video. Mm -hmm. uh, for video, they're really, uh, video is very unforgiving. And you've got to be, you have to be really, really uh, on point uh, if you're going to, uh, to, to use that medium. So, but I think it's a good challenge, though. It really is. And each medium has its challenges, its ups and downs, and uh, its limitations. Uh, film, if something goes out of frame when somebody's watching it, they can't turn their head and see what was missed. If it didn't That's make true. it film, it's gone. Um, yeah. With live theater, uh, there is no cut in a retake. Um, so everything's got its challenges, its ups and downs, but... The way I, I look at it is we were created by the ultimate creator in his image. So we, mm -hmm. too, have that creative DNA in our bodies. So all we have to do is trust him to use us to be yeah. creative and to do it with excellence. And I think yeah. that's one of the things that overall Christian entertainment is getting better about is not mm -hmm. settling for, we're Christian, so that's good enough. They just I, I see more and more wanting to be good and not just good enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. And I think what you said about the creator is so important, too. I tell people all the time, and I've taught courses at, you know, at uh, some Christian conferences, stuff like that, around this notion of us being creative uh, in the image of the creator. But I think everyone is an artist in some way, shape, or form, you know? Um, it's it just that ours are, our gifts manifest themselves in sort of the performing arts space. But when I look at, uh, for instance, I've got an uncle who does, you know, he's a contractor and he like rehabs these homes and they are beautiful. And he has this level of detail that he finds ways to put into the homes that I could not, I'm amazed by. You know, my uh, middle daughter loves to bake. She's always finding things to bake and create and to sew. Uh, I know people that draw. I know people that, I uh, love to decorate their homes. I love people that love to decorate themselves, okay? Mm -hmm. And they're really, really fashion. They're fa fashion conscious, fashionistas. 
you know, those are all gifts to me, you know? And so I, I don't ever negate anyone's artistic gifts. And I think that, you know, there's a, uh, a quote by Pablo Picasso that says that every child is an artist. The key is to help them to stay an artist when they grow up. Hmm. And that to me is really something that I want people to understand because, you know, this is not this elite gift that only a few people are able to have and exercise. People are creative in, in, in a multitude of ways, you know, whether they're white or whether they, you know, they help do hair or makeup or whatever it is. There are a lot of creative people out there. Our, our creativity just gets seen in, in, in different ways. But I think once again, being made in the image of God, we all have creativity inside of us. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And I always tell people that um, when they ask me, how can, you know, how does Christianity or faith work with improv? I say, well, we serve the ultimate improviser. Who Amen. else walked to a blank stage and just spoke in a, a universe in existence? Wow. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. That's a very, very good point. So, no, I mean, it's great. I, I, you know, I'm enjoying this conversation because it just reminds me of uh, what a cool opportunity we have, uh, what an important task and role that we have. And, you know, I will tell you as well, when it comes to like churches, for instance, I am amazed at uh, how many churches ignore the performing arts, visual arts, uh, mm -hmm. given that the culture is so, so connected to that space. Um, and I'm not suggesting that all churches have to become entertainment centers because that's not necessarily the case. But I do think that when you're living in this visually stimulated age where, you know, it's hard for us to, to concentrate for two minutes because we've got 30 apps on our phone and we can phones and we can watch, you know, all these various things. Um, I think we've really got to take advantage of that more within the, the Christian community. Uh, we have the best message out there. We have to use the tools that exist, I think, in a greater way. And to your point, some are doing it, but I think we still have a very, very long way to go. We truly do. And one of the things I think a lot of churches neglect to understand is most people who are like you and me, who are artists, who are creative, in a sense, we're storytellers. And yeah. look at how Jesus taught most of the New Testament. They were by stories, the parables. Yeah. And if Jesus taught through stories, then why can't we harness the power of storytellers within the body of Christ to retell those stories in a way that, that preaches to the new generations? And I think, like you, to your point, not every church needs to be an entertainment center. Not every church needs to ho have a drama team. But pastors and leaders, deacons, whoever, when you know that you have somebody with that skill set in your body, find a way to encourage them. Connect them with people that you know outside your physical church. And not out of and don't be f fearful of, well, if I send them to the Baptist church across the street, they're going to leave ours. They right. will appreciate the support that chances are they're not going to leave your church, but they'll also no longer feel like that orphan artist that is harnessing this gift but doesn't know how to use it. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And so, you know, we keep on going and we keep producing. And I, you know, I hope that, uh, you know, and I hope that one day all of the work that we're doing will I'm creating a body of work, I believe, that will hopefully edify someone. Mm. And I have found that, you know, some church spaces appreciate it, but others don't, and that's fine. But it doesn't stop what we're called to do. And so our, our gifts and callings are not dependent on the approval of sort of one leader or that sort of thing. And, mm. and that's okay. You know, it really, really is. And you just have to sort of keep on going and and push, and God will open the doors that need to be open for the, for the work that you have to do. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I want to backtrack uh, a couple of years. Uh, you had mentioned uh, during uh, the opening segment there about how uh, it sounded like your salvation story happened during your, year, uh, your years in college. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind, uh, share a little bit about how you came to your own relationship with Christ during college when that's a, a time when many people stray from the word and stray from the Lord, but you actually found the Lord during that time. Yeah. So I grew up uh, partially in church, I would say, not fully. I mean, probably 
you know, uh, we were beyond the Christian Easter, uh, the Christmas Easter Christians, but we probably were in church maybe twice a month, once or twice a month. And we weren't really officially a part of any church. We would go to different churches and that sort of thing. So I didn't come from a home. My mom definitely planted the seed of God in me, and I will give her, you know, all credit for that because she did believe in taking us to church. Um, but we weren't sort of, you know, we, we had a, lo- a long way to go in sort of developing that you know, consistency and that sort of thing. But, you know, obviously, you know, my mom has gone on and, and she's doing that now. It's so funny. She's very active in her church and her drama ministry of all things now these days. But I think it's so cool. And she also gave me the artistic uh, gene, I, I believe, as well. Uh, my dad gave me the business gene. She gave me the artistic gene, which I'm grateful for both. But when I got to college, I really had come to a place where I had everything I wanted in life. At 18 years old, I had gotten an internship with a car company. My dad was in the car business. I had moved from Indiana to New Jersey. I had a uh, full scholarship. I had an internship with an apartment, a vehicle, and an expense account at 18 years old. (laughs) And I remember sitting in my apartment when I first moved to New Jersey, and I said, okay, now what? Is this all there is to life? And I remember having sort of an Alexander the Great moment uh, or even a, um, a Solomon moment where, you know, uh, vanity, vanity, it's, it's all vanity. I have all this stuff. What does it mean? Hmm. Well, I also had uh, experimented uh, very, very briefly, and literally with, in a one-night situation with a friend who had uh, uh, gotten involved with uh, smoking marijuana, and he got me to try, and uh, that, you know, one time or whatever, uh, the old Bill Clinton phrase, I didn't inhale, uh, probably is true. I don't know. I coughed or something like that. And, but I had to take a drug test when I arrived for my internship. And so I thought that I was going to fail my drug test because of that uh, experience with him that evening. And so I didn't pray a lot, but I prayed that day. And I prayed, God, please, if you're not intimidated, many people understand this story. God, if you get me through this, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And that was literally my prayer. And I remember uh, going into work that next day, and um, they told me that uh, my drug test was clear, there was nothing to worry about, and I just fell on my knees and just thanked God and praised God and said, okay, now I have to go and fulfill my end of the bargain. So I hopped in my car, started driving around the ne- that weekend looking for churches to go to. And I found this little church after searching around the whole day, going to random services. I walked in this door. The church service started the second that I walked in the door. And it was as if they were waiting for me. And I felt like the minister was speaking directly to me that day. And he was talking about trying to change the things that we couldn't change and wanted to be great. And how every, all roads led back to Jesus. That Jesus had the ability to help us to become who we were trying to become. That we, um, uh, that there was, no, there was no greatness on this, in this life and this earth outside of him. And I remember just being so moved by his words that I wanted to learn more. So I uh, went and began to talk to the ministry there, uh, joined their college ministry for the summer, uh, and they really taught me the Word of God. I never really studied the Word of God. The the ministry team and the brothers in the ministry, they just took me and his family and taught me the Word of God. And at the end of that summer, I felt called to stay there. And uh, they offered me a position at that point in college ministry as a uh, student slash intern. And uh, the rest was history. I worked for uh, the church out in New Jersey, the church that I was a part of at my college. I worked for them for about a year and a half. And God just began to do so much in my life and to change all the things I told you about with the artistic desires and other desires. And uh, that really was my journey. And I know that um, God saved me at that point and saved me from myself because I know that had I not made that decision at 18 um, to give my life to God, uh, that my life was headed in a very different direction. Uh, One that maybe on the surface was going to be okay, but uh, mentally, you know, I had recognized that, you know, I didn't mention this, but that whole sort of drug testing or whatever, I, I felt honestly suicidal at that point because I did not want to let my family or my, or, uh, my community down. And so I felt very much if I do not pass this drug test and lose this internship with, I was working for Nissan Infinity at the time, uh, I would be embarrassed. I'd embarrass my father and I would want to live. And I remember thinking about committing suicide. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, God's grace and mercy uh, would have it that I passed everything with flying colors and he gave me a second chance. And I've never forgotten that. And um, so on the surface, things were good. But on the inside, I was broken and God healed me. And I am forever grateful. And it was one of those situations where, looking back, I'm sure you've realized that your faith was in so much of uh, other people's approval, meeting people's expectations, that even though things were going great, you had this great internship, all this thing going on, like you said, you were broken because you needed other people to see you in that position, and then God saved you. And it's also a strong testimony to the fact that you didn't really step, you know, get up off your knees after passing the drug test and think, you know what? I got this. Yeah. I'm okay. Yeah. And it, that could have been an e that for many people that they pray and God saves them that one time from that big thing. And then they start thinking, wait, I really didn't need God. Everything's okay. Mm. That's so, a very good point. That's a very good point. And it's something that as a person who's been in the faith now over 20 years, I have to constantly remember that, you know, because God is still saving us all the time. And I have to remember it wasn't me and that uh, I have to give him the glory and remember that the things that, that I am grateful for, I did not do myself. And so that's a wonderful reminder because I think sometimes as we've been in the faith for a longer time, it's easier to forget that. And that's where Jesus talks in the book of Revelation about remember your first when you're in Absolutely. that relationship for many years, um, you, you know, like with your wife or with my wife, there's there are times where you get to the point where you kind of forget the blessing that you have and the gift of that relationship, and it kind of goes dry for a minute, and then something has to you know kind of jog your memory and remind yourself, right. wow, this is a relationship I really need to pour into. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, and so we all you know we all have have that journey and that uh, that way that God has saved us and I'm very proud of my journey and we all have to find God for ourselves even as a parent now three children and I know that their story is going to be different you know and I, I want so desperately to give them my journey and, and to you know have things happen when it happens for me and, and how and it's just not going to be that way and I have to you know prayerfully teach them uh, the right thing uh, and that they will make their decision uh, themselves to follow and love God, which is funny because I was talking to my seven-year-old, I've got a 13-year-old, 11-year-old, and 7-year-old. I was talking to my seven-year-old son. So I've got my seven-year-old actually into acting now. So he uh, just did his second radio commercial this week. And I took him down to, because uh, he's with my agency, I took him down to do the commercial. This is two days ago now. And so we were walking downtown, spending time together after his uh, voiceover session. And I said to him, you know, I really want you, we were talking, you'd be a, you know, you're going to teach you to be a young man, all these various things, and I want you to be a, when you grow up to be an honest man and to be a kind man, I want you to be a, someone that loves God. And he goes, Dad, I already do love God. Mm. And I go, wow. You know, and I said, wow, you know. And um, that was so powerful to me because I know that's what I would have said that at seven years old, you know. And so I just am blessed, and I don't know what his life journey will be with God, but man, I tell you, uh, that is the greatest thing I could have heard come out of that child's mouth mm-hmm. uh, at his age. It's the thing I want for him more than anything. And yes, I want him to be healthy and to be prosperous in a variety of different ways, but uh, I want him to love God first and foremost, because God will take care of all those stuff. Exactly. And yeah. Even though I'm not yet a, a father myself, I can just see you know, how being a father in this life to human children is so parallel to what God experiences as our Father in heaven. Uh, just that you want so many great things for your children, but there's still that thing of they have the free will, and you can't yeah. force them to love God, just like God can't force us to love him. Give us everything and show us everything, but it's up to us to make that decision. Yep, absolutely. And so, you know, and and that that's that. And that, you know, we talk about art. Uh, that makes a great art. Now, it's funny because, and I'll, I'll say this to you, I know we're on the air, but, you know, you and I have a very um, 
humorous relationship. And so I, I, as we're talking, I got four and five jokes that I probably would put a slide in there on you. And I said, well, this is the, this is the straight move tonight. So let me not. But, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I had picked up on a few. I just want you to know they're there. And I was being the mature one and did not uh, take advantage of some of the, the opportunities. And I'm sure, you know, that you probably have had yours as well. Uh, and so, you know, maybe another time we will, we will go at it in that way. Because when we get together, uh, particularly as you're talking about our rehearsals and stuff like that, uh, we don't miss an opportunity for a good joke, uh, a good one-liner, which I really enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, and sometimes it, it's one of those things. It's like the Spider-Man line: "With a great power comes great responsibility," and yeah. you have to know when to use that power. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. No, yeah. So much fun talking to my good friend Ted Williams about acting, performing, uh, the many projects that he's a part of. And one of his most exciting projects is 1619. And we're going to talk about that when we get back to the interview. But first, I want to remind you about our next and final Good for the Soul show at Fountain of Life Church. Haha Men's final show at Fountain of Life Church is Monday, September 17th, 7.15, doors open, 7.30, the show goes on, and it will be our final event there. Fountain of Life going through uh, some transition right now, and to help them with that transition, we're going to step away and, and uh, uh, find another place to uh, rehearse and to put on these shows. But we want to go out with a bang. We want to first give a huge thank you to Pastor John Cross and his wife Patricia Cross, to the whole Cross family, and to the Fountain of Life Church family. Uh, Thank you so much for hosting us for these last six years. You guys have been amazing, and we have been proud to be a part of the Fountain of Life community for all these years. And we wish nothing and pray nothing but the best for all of you uh, during this uh, change in uh, Fountain of Life. Um, But we hope that everyone that listens will have a chance to come out Monday night on the 17th. Our charity of the month is ARF Illinois, Animal Rescue Foundation of Illinois. Uh, They're a great cause. They help try to save animals uh, who are in high-kill shelters. Also providing health care for animals that are injured or or old and need some extra attention. So ARF Illinois does amazing work for animals. I love animals. I love dogs, and I'm just really happy to be able to go out with Good for the Soul by supporting an amazing organization like ARF Illinois. Now, you can find out all these details through our newsletter, and uh, you can sign up for that at newsletter.hahamen.org. That's newsletter.hahamen.org. You get to learn more about what's going on behind the scenes with Haha Men. Uh, You get to learn about the update that's coming, the big change that we're about to announce. We're going to announce first to our newsletter recipients to give you the heads up, and then we'll make it public. So uh, be sure to sign up for the newsletter. Be sure to make plans Monday night to check us out live and enjoy the show. It's going to be a lot of fun on Monday night. We'll be back in just a moment with more of our interview with Ted Williams as we're talking about 1619, uh, the amazing project that he's putting together. It's going to debut August 24th, so we hope that you make plans to attend that as well, and we'll tell you why you need to make plans to attend that as we continue the interview on Gifts of Glory on the podcast. So I'm excited about this new project that's coming up. I know that you mentioned that you wanted to uh, speak about that. I was going uh, and to so, way right into that. 1690. Oh, cool. Yes. So I won a grant from the Illinois Arts Council a few months ago to create a production to commemorate the 400-year anniversary of the first uh, African slaves arriving in Jamestown, Virginia. And so I really uh, began to write months ago and. I'm still working through some things, although our production is coming up very shortly here. So I've got a, I'm still uh, in, in the rewriting process. And I've given myself about another week or two to, to do that. But we are creating an artistic experience to celebrate this journey. And it's a really different kind of show for me, uh, having written Torn 
and written, uh, which is my personal testimony on stage, by the way, uh, through a musical, which was the journey of Torn. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Mystery Dinner Theater show and some sort of films. And, you know, I've done a lot of sort of uh, skits, right, and, and short plays and that kind of thing. But this was very different because this was a little more um, con- well, somewhat controversial, I guess, because of the, the, the topic and sort of you know issues that we'll deal with. Uh, but I also think that it's so much bigger than me, and that's what I'm very excited about uh, with this production. I recognize, even from the responses that I've gotten so far, that there are a lot of people that want to celebrate, commemorate, and, uh, you know, sort of be moved by this story, which is really the story of the African-American community is really a story of faith and of God's um, provision, even when it didn't look like it. And I would probably liken it to the the journey of the Israelites, uh, where um, God had them in a period of uh, slavery, and challenges, and yet they came out uh, on the other side uh, in a dynamic, powerful way. I think the uh, I wrote a book called "The Way Out: Christianity, Politics, and the Future of the African American Community." I wrote this a few years ago, and I liken that journey to really the story of Joseph uh, most directly. And so, I, I want to tell that story, and I want to show once again how. And all of my pieces, whether they are overtly Christian or whether they are uh, not, um, my message of faith is always there. And so even in this show, although this is not sort of a quote-unquote Christian show, uh, please understand that the message of God's provision and the faith that was built in this marginalized population, this, this African-American community, uh, the really the the... the last part of this production is all about that faith story and how, you know, without our faith, where will we be? And how God um, has allowed suffering for people. You know, it's interesting because Jesus says how hard it'll be for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. The easier for a rich man to go through the eye of the, um, excuse me, for camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And I think that when people are broken and when they are challenged, they seek God more. And I think that has been the story of the African-American community in this country. And I think, unfortunately, like uh, most of America, uh, recently I think that there have been trends away from that faith, but I am one that believes that we can help retain it through the arts and through media and that sort of thing. And that's really what I want to tell uh, this this story, Uh, in addition to really um, searching through this narrative of what it means to be an American. for the last 400 years. Hmm. And um, so uh, this, uh, is is this going to be a film production or a stage production? That's a stage production. Uh, So it is a stage production. I'm looking to, once we uh, do it, to look into some streaming opportunities and that sort of thing. But this is, this is straight uh, stage. We've done a series of short films. You've been in two of the labs that we've done, Uh, you know, shameless plug, (laughs) but, uh, you know, so we will look at, after I get through this production, uh, we're looking at the possibility of doing a feature film uh, eventually with the, with Torn, uh, once again, which is that sort of spiritual concept. And so, uh, but this one right now is, is stage, uh, stage mm-hmm. only. And I've seen uh, uh, your, um, your sharing the posts and, and the videos with, uh, with uh, my man Cello and Shannon Stiles. Uh, any uh, other uh names in this production you want to plug and, and give them a shout out? Yeah, sure. So there's a wonderful vocalist that has already signed up for our work. Uh, her name is uh, Leslie Michelle. She's an amazing gospel jazz vocalist. Um, and right now, those are our folks we were hiring. Actually, no, Sisley Reynolds who is uh, a wonderful, wonderful dancer that we've worked with in a number of productions. She's on board as well. We're going to be hiring one or two other folks. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to be working with my comedy team, uh, which I normally do. I love you, you and our good, dear friend, Christine Houston, creator of the TV show 227. Uh, but uh, So I'm giving you guys uh, shout-outs, too. But we'll be back with you guys on some of the other stuff that we're doing, hopefully, if you're not too 
busy and important with all the myriad uh, projects you have going on yourself. Um, but yeah, so those are the folks and really just wanting to create a visually stunning experience for people. Uh, and that really is something that I'm very excited about. We've got tributes to Dr. King and Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass and a number of other folks like that in the production to really help us to kind of tell these stories and uh, to inspire people along the way. And what would your biggest hope be that there would be a takeaway for the audience at night? So what I want people, once again, I want people to walk away being, to understand some of the current challenges that we have in our nation and where they come from and, and sort of some history behind it, to be inspired about what's possible uh, and to be committed to making our world better, recognizing that, once again, as I even shared uh, a little while ago, uh, that this faith journey, that God is so critical to all of this, this story, and that although um, we may have sometimes a, a history uh, in this country and people around the world who suffer, have a history where they feel like God has abandoned them. He never has. Mm. And that he's always there and he's always working uh, for our good. Even when we don't, we don't see it. And for me, as you're describing the production, the, the, the image I'm getting is even though it's not, the story is not similar, just the book of Esther, where even though God is not mentioned for somebody with a trained eye, you can see the impact and the power of God in play during the entire uh, story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. So 1619 hits the stage, and that is August 24th, if I'm not mistaken. August the 24th uh, this year, 2019, and we'll, that'll be our premiere, and we'll be uh, hopefully doing some travel with the production and some other things, and so we're really looking forward to it. So please, those of you guys who are listening, please come out and uh, tell your friends. And we're going to make some magic on the stage here. And uh, I'm really excited about it. And it's going up on August 24th, which means that the script will be completed August 23rd. <laughs> Let's hope not. You <laughs> pray the script is done, done tomorrow. You know? <laughs> so we're, we're uh, almost there. Where is this going to be at? I know it's in uh, going to be in Chicago. What college was that? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be at Kennedy King College. There's a brand new uh, 300 seat theater at Kennedy King College. It's amazing. Uh, we've used also the Venom Theater, uh, which is on the north side of the city, for productions torn. So we'll probably go back to the Venom for our second run, which will be in late September, early October. Uh, but we're premiering it at the college because. I think it's very important. I'm doing some work. I work at the college, and we've got a following there that I think is going to really benefit from this production. So we're excited to launch there and then go from there. We've got uh, some potential engagements in Virginia and some other places. So hmm. we're very excited. And uh, like I said, come on out and check us out. And there's a really great tie-in because August 24th, four days before the anniversary of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Which oh, wow. Okay, here. That's, yes. Uh, yeah. Which is, which is the 28th of August? Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful. Yes, yes. And that's actually, so, so here's the other piece. The actual anniversary of the first 20 slaves coming to Jamestown, Virginia is August 20th, so it's four days before. That's very interesting. So four days before the actual anniversary, we do the play and four days after Dr. King's anniversary. Thank you for that. I didn't think about that. So it's a powerful, powerful time. I think it's it's, uh, it's divine in that way. Uh, it's divine. So I'm, I'm yeah, that's excited. And for more information, they can visit your website, Ted Williams yes. I com. <laughs> or Ted Williams II, or also known as Ted Williams the Third. So, but thank you so much. This has been fantastic. I, yeah, I mean, this is great. I appreciate it very much. <laughs> And we'll also have the link in the show notes so anybody listening can uh, uh, come back to it and find the link to the website, also the link to Third Dimension Performance Group. And, yep. Um, uh, the third dimension. And, and don't forget about don't forget about Torn. You know, Torn is still alive. That that is my 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 heart and soul, my baby there. And we still, uh, you know, we still do 
Uh, we're going to be doing a torn sort of Easter production next year. And uh, so we're always available to come and do some pieces uh, for church services and that sort of thing, which I think is really cool. We come and supplement you know, sermons and, 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 and that kind of thing. And so torn really, I probably have alluded to this multiple times, but didn't express it, but it really is the journey of how we make decisions to follow light over darkness in our lives mm. and how we all are torn in some way, shape, or form, but God, uh, he sustains us. And uh, as long as we keep our eyes on him, we will be all right. Amen. Now, Ted, one of the things I do on my show, uh, which I know that you're a faithful listener to, we do the interroga- uh, the interrogation. I shoot off seven quick questions and uh, sure. answer straight from the hip and uh, see uh, see what happens. Try to be light and also get uh, get some serious questions in there as well. Okay. So, all right. First question: Your biggest fear when you're on stage? That I'm unprepared. Mm. I mean, I I'm going quick, right? Right. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. What was what has been your favorite moment as a performer? Opening night of Torn in uh, November twenty third, two thousand and two. It was uh, it was amazing, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, what's your favorite sport? Football. Favorite team? The Chicago Bears, of course, man. Come on, that's insulting to ask me that question. Well, I better I- be a Bear. I thought you may be going, uh, you know, the Scarlet Knights. I didn't know if you still. Ah, yeah, it could be Scarlet Knights. No, I'm I'm a Bears fan. All right. Now, question five: What is your um, biggest regret uh, as far as your performance career? I think I probably should have pushed to. I should have probably pushed torn more consistently in some of the early years. Uh, we toured for a while, and then I began to do some other work and had some artistic insecurities that uh, probably prevented me from pushing further and faster when we had some opportunities to do so. And I think that uh, that was probably a mistake. But uh, there's a Chinese proverb that says that the best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago. And the second best time is today. And so all I can do is deal in the present and not the past. I was actually surprised that uh, you didn't reference uh, losing the dreads. I thought uh, that might have been your oh. <laughs> Actually, no. I, uh, I'm actually very, very <laughs> pleased with my new look. Uh, I did have dreadlocks for a while, but I want the season for that, and it's over. <laughs> if you could uh, put it on at any theater anywhere in the world, where would you most like to put Torn on? It's funny you say that. I'm actually applying to, to, to do something where I won't talk too much about it, but I'm applying for an opportunity to do it in Asia uh, right now, so that would be pretty cool. Um, but I can tell you, you know, it's funny because, you know, Torn is, is my first kid majorly, and now 16, 19 is the second kid, so uh, I would be happy to do either of them anywhere uh, that people would come and want to and support it and be excited and to learn from it so but you know big stages are fun i'll be frank with you i performed on some big stages uh, we've done stuff at the airy crown and chicago theater and that kind of thing but i can tell you i enjoy the little small uh dinner theater spot that we use too the intimacy of it so i just i don't really care where we go i just enjoy uh connecting with audiences all right final question outside of anything that you've written what production would you most likely most like to be a part of either behind the scenes or on stage? Wow. That's a, that's a great question. Uh, my two favorite Broadway shows are Smokey Joe's cafe and bring in the noise, bring in the funk. Uh, both are pretty amazing. Uh, I saw them in college. They were kind of life changing shows at that point. I'm a big Michael and Janet Jackson fan. So if I could just be a man, if I could, hold up a light at a Michael Jackson or Janet Jackson show, I think I'd be thrilled, you know? <laughs> so you're saying that would be a real thriller for you? Ah, uh, bingo. It would be a thriller. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, I, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it to come out, Dave. 
Well, come on. Took a while, but you got it. Yeah, but come on, right? Right. You, you just you beat it, things. How about that? You just beat it, okay? So. <laughs> All right. Well, Ted Williams the third, um, sixteen nineteen coming August twenty fourth. You'll find the details at tedwilliamsthethird dot com, and the third is spelled I I I for those uh, curious. Yep. <laughs> well, Ted, thanks so much for taking some time out this evening to join us on the Gifts of Glory podcast. I'll give you the final word. The final word is whatever gift you have inside of you that God has given you, let it out. Because I'm a believer that that gift, if it's not let out, um, the world might be missing the unique contribution that you have. And no one else can do what God is giving you to do, so go for it. That's my final word. Amen. Ted, you take care of yourself. Say hey to the uh, to the misses and to the children, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. I certainly will, Dave. Thank you for having me, and uh, God bless you and this work that you're doing. is fantastic, and I look forward to supporting you in all of your efforts as well. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it. It's a great time to get a great deal on a new car when you get approved for an auto loan from PenFed. Our powered by true car rates are as low as 1.39% APR on new vehicles. Finance for a longer term to lower your monthly bill. Plus, take up to 60 days to schedule your first payment. Join PenFed and together we'll keep you moving forward. Anyone can apply. Visit PenFed.org auto or call 1-800-247-5626. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl and a foul of the comatose Coxwain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.